Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert and joining me today is Sarah Dowdy. How are you, Sarah? I'm doing good. How are you, Katie? Good. We were talking about rearranging our Netflix cues earlier and you brought up a specific film. Bonnie and Clyde. Exactly. And that's who we're going to talk about today, but not the Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway version. No. And if you've seen that, you probably remember it being very glamorous. They're, you know, gangsters, well-dressed gangsters. Um, but reality is a little different, as it usually is. Clyde Barrow was born in 1910 in Texas to a sharecropper father. He was one of eight kids. And he wasn't particularly interested in school. Some accounts say that he never made it past the fifth grade, and he was always a troublemaker. My favorite story is that he liked to sell stolen turkeys with his brother. Oh, well. Well, And Bonnie came from similarly humble backgrounds, um, born in 1910, Rowena, Texas. Um, Both of these are really tiny towns kind of on the outskirts of Dallas. Um, Maybe today you'd call them suburbs, but back then they were probably just dusty stops on the road, you know. Um, And she, after her father died, she had a pretty rough upbringing, but still managed to do really well in school. And she was a pretty girl. There are different accounts as to what she looks like. We keep finding things that say she was 4'11", and other things that say she was 5 feet, and then a wanted poster that says she's 5'5", so apparently no one knows with sort of red-gold hair and freckles. And Miss Bonnie Parker decided she wanted to get married when she was 16 and eloped with a no-good man. Yeah, it kind of started off a kick in taste for bad men for poor Bonnie because uh, her husband soon landed in jail, and she actually never divorced him, interestingly enough. Supposedly she was wearing his wedding ring still when she was found with Clyde. Not to be too much of a spoiler, but they don't live. Yeah, they don't (laughs) quite make it if you haven't seen the movie. Yeah, so things kind of fall together for the pair in 1930 when they meet at the home of a mutual friend. And it was love at first sight, according to accounts. Bonnie Parker's friend had broken her arm and she was there taking care of her. And the story goes that Clyde came over to see this girl and saw Bonnie and that was the end of that. And Clyde actually already had a criminal past of his own and he had barely known, they'd known each other for like a couple months and he gets arrested and put into prison. She helps break him out at one point. Right, this is my favorite part. She'd been writing letters to him where she addressed him as sugar and being very supportive and then he and his cellmate convince her to smuggle him in a gun. So it's like a cartoon. She brings him a gun. <laughs> she brings him a gun in jail and both he and his cellmate escape where they stole cars, started robbing again, and of course he was recaptured in Ohio and stuck in a Texas prison called Easton Prison Farm. Which he ends up calling a hellhole for good reason. It sounds like it was pretty bad and imagine this is depression era texas too Um, that kind of compounds everything Uh, but you know it's a place where the prisoners are regularly beaten he saw people put into tin sweat boxes in the texas heat Uh, and even prisoners were murdered sometimes uh, so the guards could collect a 25 dollar reward for captured inmates And even if you weren't being murdered, you were still picking cotton from sunup to sundown, again, in the Texas heat. 
And stories say that he left prison even worse than he'd started. He came out a much more bitter man. Yeah. But he starts to thinking in prison that, you know, his dream when he gets out is he's going to really stick it to him. You know, he wants to form a gang, come back and, you know, turn everybody loose. And while he's in prison, Bonnie is still writing to him, and his mother is actually writing to the state and asking for leniency for her son. And her pleas work, but not before he's already gotten two of his toes cut off as a sort of of get-out-of-jail-free pass. Yeah. Uh, But by February 1932, he works out a conditional pardon because uh, Eastham is so crowded that they've got to let some people out. Um, and he meets up with the guy who, Ralph Fultz, who he was sort of planning a future escape and um, break out with, he meets up with him again and starts bringing his gang together. And this is about when the Barrow gang forms and he goes right back into robbery after he's released, of course, because that's what you do. That's what he does. And the first one didn't go so well. He killed a store owner in the next one and... This is where the bad stuff starts. They're in a stolen Ford, and he's in Oklahoma, and they're drinking whiskey in the car and pull up to a dance and decide, you know, maybe they'd like to have a little fun. And a couple of police officers walk over to talk to them because drinking and driving, generally frowned upon, and they shot them. One of the officers died, and one was wounded, and one of the gang members folded and turned Bonnie and Clyde in. Yeah, and Bonnie and Clyde, you know, they're they're famous for being robbers and being murderers and turning over gas stations and restaurants and banks. Uh, but they weren't really that great at it, no. were they? Like, no, not at all. They never made more than uh, $1,500. Sometimes they would rob an establishment and not get anything at all. Usually they just got enough to you know, buy them a few nights in a motel and a little bit of food. And when I think Great Depression robbers, I think more of, say, John Dillinger. Yeah. Or Babyface Nelson. Gangsters. Like, exactly, who held up banks and got thousands and thousands of dollars and were yeah. living the glamorous life during the Great Depression, but not so much for Bonnie and Clyde. Well, and I, I think since they didn't have the, the big, you know, gangster image that, you know, somebody like Dillinger had, they're almost considered more like Robin Hood figures until they get into more and more murders. Right. But, you know, banks, the Depression, they're not held in that high esteem. I think people were, you know, kind of intrigued by the couple. But, of course, instead of targeting these major institutions, they were more going toward little mom-and-pop stores and, you know, little filling stations and smaller banks. So they weren't even targeting the man, so to speak, the the people who were really part of their own group. They continued on their little crime spree. After that shooting at the dance, they drove to Bonnie's aunt's house in New Mexico, and Clyde was speeding, and that's what caught a police officer's eye. And he came looking for them, and so they kidnapped him, which became another part of their MO. (laughs) They liked kidnapping police officers and then releasing them several hours later. Take them on a little joyride. I think just for kicks. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually, even though they weren't great robbers, Clyde was actually really good at hot-wiring Ford V8s. And it was his favorite car. There is a letter purported to be by Clyde that he sent to Ford that said, I have drove Fords exclusively when I could get away with one. And it said that John Dillinger sent them a a similar letter because with the new V8 engine, you could get places with that car. Yeah, he was a fast driver. They did make their way around the country. 
Um, and Bonnie also really liked taking pictures of the gang. <laughs> Which some of the rolls of film were found in some of their stolen cars. And that's part of how this like great mythic, you know, glamorous couple to the death thing yeah. came because of these pictures. When they got them developed, it's all great pictures of them oh, posing yeah. with, you know, cigars and guns. And uh, Bonnie's always really nicely turned out in these mm-hmm. chic clothes. And um, she wore a lot of makeup when women didn't really wear much at the time. And it's all very posed and, you know, they're trying to kind of assume this glamour. Yeah, like she'll, she was posing, there's one picture you'll find easily on Google Images where she's posing, pretending she's shooting Clyde. Yeah. And the other one of her smoking a cigar, which apparently she really disliked because yeah. she smoked cigarettes and nice girls didn't smoke cigars. One of their, uh, one of their officers who they kidnapped and later released, he, he asked her if there was anything she wanted to tell the press and she was like, tell him I don't smoke cigars. <laughs> it was this one point of vanity that bothered her more than, you know, all the killings. Yeah, apparently. So the killings and the robberies continue and thing I think is interesting is that they kept going back to Texas to see their families. So they would do these holdups and these kidnappings and they would drive back to Texas. And, you know, eventually at some point this is going to catch up with them, but not quite yet. In 1932, W.D. Jones joins their gang and things start to go a bit awry again. They they stole a car. The FBI kind of starts to get on to them at this point. Uh, they find a stolen Ford, of course, <laughs> in Michigan that had been taken from Oklahoma. And then in Oklahoma, they find another stolen Ford. Uh, Clyde really liked his Fords. And uh, they start to trace these cars, and they find one has a prescription bottle in it. Um, and after tracing the prescription, it goes back to Clyde Barrow's aunt. And um, that's when the FBI issues a warrant for him, um, charging him with interstate transportation of a stolen automobile. And in 1932, the police try to ambush them in Dallas, and it doesn't work. Policemen are killed, and they go right back to more robberies, and they rob an armory and get a whole bunch of weapons. Rifles. Exactly. And then in Missouri, they kill another policeman. And that brings us up to about March 1933 when Clyde's brother is released from prison. So what's better than one barrow? Two barrows. <laughs> so he and his wife, Blanche, join the gang. And they all got a little place together. Bonnie and Clyde and W.D. Jones and Blanche and Buck. But their behavior is so suspicious, they're quickly put under surveillance. The neighbors notice that they never came out of the house. Well, and is this when Bonnie was burned? Too? Not quite yet. Okay. That's like a year, a year later, I think. But there was, of course, they figure out who it is. There's a gunfight. All of them escaped and they leave behind more rolls of film with more pictures of Bonnie and Clyde, which just feeds the media flame. And after this, they steal another car and the man pursues them in someone else's car. So way to be feisty and then stolen car. <laughs> and he was kidnapped, of course, because again, that's what we do. <laughs> And then the car wreck you were talking about happened in 1933, and things really start to go south for them because Bonnie's severely injured. She was pinned under the car, and her whole leg was burned, and it was a really, really nasty. Battery acid. Yeah. Yeah. And she needed to be in a hospital, but of course, she was an outlaw, and she couldn't, so they had to do the best they could on their own. And it said that... um Clyde called her sister to come and also hired a nurse to watch over Bonnie. But this injury plagued her through their next 
several escapades. She, you know, she couldn't get around like she used to. Well, and it also uh, raised further suspicions, like them buying medical supplies. And um, hadn't the local pharmacies been alerted to people buying certain burn supplies? and Exactly. So if you saw a guy and you thought he was Clyde, but you weren't entirely sure, and then he picked up a big thing of burn ointment, there's a good chance it's Clyde Barrow. Yeah. And again, in July 1933, they set up shop in a tourist camp, and an officer came to visit, figured out who they were. Another gunfight ensues. Big surprise, because seems to happen a lot. Gunfights or kidnappings. And Buckabarrow is seriously wounded to the head, and Blanche is blinded by glass in her eye. And they manage to escape, but, you know, they aren't doing very well, and no. someone else spies them, turns them in, and Clyde, Bonnie, and W.D. Jones are all shot. They left Blanche and Buck behind. They didn't know what else to do. Um, Bonnie and Clyde left together, and then W.D. left all by himself and didn't exactly try to meet up with them again. I think he'd had enough. No, he was kind of the weak Their link. working relationship was <laughs> over. Not too long after that, uh, Clyde starts to return to this idea of busting out prisoners from right. Eastham. Uh, he, he had kind of let the plan fall by the wayside over the past few years. And he was a little worried he was actually getting led into a trap when he was first approached about it. Um, but he starts the operation January 13th, 1934. He and uh, Bonnie and a few of their accomplices drop off an inner tube filled with two Colt 45s Ooh. in a ravine outside of the prison. Then there's an elaborate exchange where the prisoners you know, they're sent out on a work detail and they know that this one particular guard is, he doesn't follow protocol because instead of doing his job, he'd rather beat up the prisoners and harass them instead of uh, stand back and guard them with his rifle. And knowing this, they have him come over. They've grabbed the guns by then. They shoot the guard and chaos ensues. Uh, Four prisoners have planned to escape working with the gang. They rush out. Clyde covers them with machine gun fire. Uh, all the guards freak out. You know, all, they, almost all <laughs> of them abandon their freak out. Only one actually holds his post, and he's kind of credited with preventing what probably would have been a mass escape at Eastham. Uh, this, imagine this one guy, you know, just standing there against the Barrow gang. I wouldn't want to be there. (laughs) And then this, I I love this one extra convict like sneaks out (laughs) with the rest of the gang and hides in the woods for a day and then gets caught. Seizing opportunity. (laughs) Yeah, I guess he thought it'd be a good chance. Um, And then the officials realized pretty soon that, uh, you know, looking at the prisoners who escaped, looking at the known gang members, they realized Bonnie and Clyde must be behind this. (laughs) Uh, And there was even... A little bit of, uh, I don't know, some people were disturbed that the Barrow gang would have such easy access to a prison where all their buddies are. Yeah, and it's, you know, looking back, I remember I wrote a, p- a blog post about John Dillinger, and he escaped from more than one prison as well. And I'm thinking maximum security didn't quite mean the same thing then as it does now. Yeah, some of these guys who escape in 34, when they're, captured, they escape again later from other prisons or from the same one. Uh, it, it seems like most of these guys 
escaped from prison several times. Bonnie's no good prison also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he escaped from East Ham, didn't he? Yeah. Also. The um, no good husband from way back in the day. Yeah. So, but anyways, uh, they, they shoot a guard during this, well, not Bonnie and Clyde, but members of their gang inside the prison shoot a guard and kill another guard. And after that, I mean, their, their fate is really sealed. The prison director, Lee Simmons, kind of has it out for him. He's been obviously hugely embarrassed by this stunt and by the murder of one of his guards. So he commissions uh, a retired Texas Ranger, Frank Hammer or Hamer. Yeah, we're not sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, to be a state highway patrolman and have a temporary detail to find Bonnie and Clyde. So now they've got a bounty hunter on their tail. And also two of the men they'd help escape, Ray Hamilton and Henry Methven, have joined the gang. So they've increased their numbers since they've lost Buck and Blanche. Buck ended up dying from his injuries, and Blanche was sent to a women's penitentiary. And they are out on the hunt again, and they rob another bank. And then the event that gets them, that probably turns the tide of public opinion against them. Yeah, that Robin Hood perception that I mentioned earlier really changes with... Is gone. They're in Grapevine, Texas, and patrolmen are walking up to their car to question them, and without even any warning, they shot them and killed them. And there's a little contention over that, yeah. because um, the their accomplice, um, Henry Methven, uh, he apparently fired the first shot, and Bonnie and Clyde had wanted to, you know do their normal thing and kidnap the cops right. instead. Um, but, you know, once they, once a shot was fired, it was all, you know, they were committed to it at that point. A couple of accounts I read said that Clyde had said, let's take them. And Henry took that to mean, Shoot let's them. get rid of them. Whereas mm-hmm. Clyde meant it. No, let's actually physically take them, you know, like we like to do with but officers of the law. Regardless of what happened, two young police officers were killed in, Cold blood. With at least one of them leaving a wife behind. I'm not sure about the other. And two more men joined the bounty hunter. And so there were now four people who were just dedicated to catching Bonnie and Clyde. So it's only a matter of time. So after this, there's another robbery and then another attempted car theft and another officer killed. And they stole another Ford V8, their fave, in Kansas and went to see their families again. And this is where... Bonnie's poem comes in. She wrote a poem called The Story of Bonnie and Clyde, and she gave it to her mother, and it begins with, You've read the story of Jesse James, of how he lived and died. If you're still in need of something to read, here's the story of Bonnie and Clyde. And goes on to say that basically the newspapers are lying, and they're not so ruthless as that. Their nature is raw. They hate the law. The stool pigeons, spotters, and rats. So, again, probably not going to win you a whole lot of sympathy. No, we should say, too, Bonnie would sit in the back seat of the car when she wasn't navigating for Clyde or participating in a shootout um, and type poetry. She's known for that one and one she wrote called The Suicide of Sal. Yeah. I think, so that creative writing. And Clyde played saxophone. That was another thing found (laughs) in their car in addition to lots of license plates and... Uh, some money and lots of guns was Clyde Sack. I like the humanizing details. They help. Yeah. Um, especially at this point. Methvin, the 
accomplice who participated in the murder of the two highway patrolmen ends up being there undoing. And uh, remember, we were talking about Frank Hammer or Hamer earlier. And in his search for Bonnie and Clyde, he eventually gets connected with Henry Methvin, or rather his father, who's seeking a pardon from the state of Texas for his son. And at this point, Methvin betrays Bonnie and Clyde and uh, sets them up for the eventual police ambush. Right. And Henry Methvin's father gets the guarantee for leniency for his son because Methvin was the one who'd probably be in the most trouble after those great fine killings, and his father knew it. Definitely. So he agrees to help them set the two up. And they are ambushed in Louisiana on May 23rd, 1935? Yeah. Uh, 1934. 1934. Um, Methvin finds a pretext to part company with Bonnie and Clyde for a little bit, knowing that they're going to reconvene at his parents' house. And uh, the police wait near near the house. This is in Gibsland, Louisiana, uh, about a mile off of I-20. And uh, they wait. Some accounts say they waited for a couple of days, and then others say it was just overnight. Yeah, most there's, of the ones I read were saying overnight. Yeah, there's a little controversy there, too. But um, by 9, 10 in the morning, they hear a roar of a V8, and they know it's got to be Clyde, like, driving that fast. Um, and they start shooting pretty much as soon as they get an ID on Clyde. With no warning. They don't say stop. They don't say you're under arrest. They just start shooting. And 167 bullet holes were found in the car and more than 50 in the bodies of the two. When they opened the door, they saw bloody cigarettes in in Bonnie's lap along with a gun. And um, Clyde went first. Uh, Bienville Parish Deputy Prentice Oakley fired the first shot, hit Clyde in the head. That was... He was killed pretty much instantly. But Bonnie apparently took longer to kill. And a lot of the policemen later said they were haunted by hearing her scream after Clyde had been shot and before she died. Well, especially since there weren't any warrants out, I don't think, against no Bonnie. No warrants. Yeah, she wasn't ever accused of being a murderer, just you know, someone who was along for the ride. So and while she was in trouble, there was nothing out saying... That's kind of become an interesting question, too. Did did Bonnie ever kill anyone, or did she even fire a gun? And uh, even one of their own gang members, W.G. Jones, later said that in the five shootouts he participated in with her, he never saw her fire, but said she was a hell of a loader. <laughs> so helpful, if not necessarily yeah. the worst one. It was complete pandemonium at the site where they were shot and killed. There's actually, you can see video right after the shoot. Someone came up just to see everyone rushing around and see the bodies. People were taking pictures and taking pieces of them. Yeah, like from there it gets pretty ghoulish. Trying to take like pieces of her bloody hair and pieces of her of dress. Ear, and, and they tow the car into town to show the school kids and it's all rather grisly. And they, in the car they found a bunch, a bunch of guns and a bunch of license plates. Because, and the saxophone. Well, and the saxophone because <laughs> they, they tried to change license plates after every single 
robbery they committed. They actually realized that after they lost one of their rolls of film, uh, left it behind, and the police got a hold of it, they decided they wanted to start covering up the license plates on their stolen cars, not documenting that. Um, but an interesting fact about Methvin, too, the informer, he was later sentenced to death for killing a police officer, something that happened after he signed his pardon agreement. Uh, but uh, after hearing about his role in catching Bonnie and Clyde, the court commuted it to life, and he was released from prison in 1949. And then a few years after that, an unknown person knocked him unconscious and placed him on a railroad track where he oh. was cut in half. So I guess, you know, somebody like Methvin has probably made quite a number of enemies over his lifetime. I would imagine. But that's, um, I wonder... It's still quite a creative way to <laughs> to get rid of someone. Another rather cartoonish, cartoonishly violent thing to do. I think the sad fact that keeps sticking with me is that Bonnie's mother wouldn't let her be buried next to Clyde, which, of course, is where she wanted to be. Yeah, Clyde is buried next to his brother, and Bonnie is home. So. And then, you know, they may have died in 1934, but the legend really only grew from there. We talked about the movies, and there's actually a new one in the works. (laughs) If you haven't seen the 67 original, soon there will be a film starring Hilary Duff and Kevin (laughs) Zegger. So we'll see. And I remember hearing some really snotty quotes back and forth from Hilary Duff and Faye Dunaway. Yeah, Faye Dunaway did not really approve, did she? Not that I read celebrity gossip, but if I did, (laughs) that's what I would have heard. Um, And... There are still people who want a piece of Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, you can buy a square inch of Clyde's pants for $200. Um, in the car that they Merry died Christmas. in. I know. That's, that's what I want. My birthday's coming up, y'all. Just kidding. Um, and you can see the car that they died in, uh, at a Las Vegas casino along with Clyde's shirt. So if you'd like to learn the real story of a bunch of criminals and not the buy a bunch of kitschy memorabilia, you can check out the Stuff You Missed in History class blog on our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History class blog on the howstuffworks.com homepage. 